Hello and welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast with me, Dr. Amy Burbridge. I'm an acute physician working in Coventry and today we've got a very special guest. I'm Kat Atkin, I'm an acute medicine trainee in the West Midlands. Thank you very much for joining us today, Kat. And we are going to start with a case. So are you ready? Yeah. Okay, we have a 37-year-old female who presents to the ambulatory care unit, feeling generally unwell. She's been complaining of some lower back pain, worse on the right-hand side, for two days. She also feels very sick and has been vomiting for about 24 hours. She feels very hot and feverish and is finding that when she goes to the toilet, it has been painful, although that has started to settle now. Any thoughts on that brief history? Okay, so you've, you've got a 37-year-old, so she's a young patient mm-hmm. with some right-sided pain, some urinary symptoms and a fever. Yes. Um, so I guess initial thoughts, I'd be thinking that this might be some like a urinary infection. Okay. And I'd want to ask her some questions to s- kind of get some more history on that. So is this a problem she's ever had before? Mm-hmm. Um, has she had lots of urinary infections in the past? Has she had kidney problems or problems with her bladder before? Um, and then some more questions about the pain. So whereabouts is it? Where does it start? Where does it go? Mm-hmm. Um, What's the key question that we need to ask this 37-year-old female? So is she pregnant? Okay, excellent. Yep, so um, every woman is pregnant until proven otherwise. Um, And that's sort of the thing that I've taken away from, things that I've missed in the past from working in A&E when it hasn't really gone through my mind. So always key to remember that. Okay, so all really valid questions that you want to ask there. So she doesn't actually really complain of any more symptoms. She's never really been unwell in the past. She doesn't have any medical conditions. She doesn't take any medication apart from the combined oral contraceptive pill. So she's on microgynon 30. So it's a combination of estrogen and progesterone. She's not allergic to anything no significant family history, social history. She doesn't smoke and she does drink alcohol about 14 units per week. So on examination, she's sitting in bed. She looks very, very sweaty. She looks pretty unwell and she's shaking quite violently. And she says that this has been happening on and off for about the last day or two. She hasn't had much sleep, so she looks pretty exhausted. She's very flushed in the face. When you go on to do her observations, her pulse is 120 beats per minute and regular. Her blood pressure is 110 over 55. Her respiratory rate is 18. When you check her temperature, it's 39.5 degrees. So pretty high. When you do a capillary refill time, it's less than two seconds. When you look in her mouth, she's well hydrated, even though she hasn't really been able to keep any food down for around the last two days. On examination of the abdomen, she's very tender in the right costovertebral angle. And she doesn't really want you to palpate that at all. But anteriorly, there is no tenderness in the right iliac fossa region. 
examination of her chest is clear, heart sounds are normal. When you look at her legs, calves are soft and non-tender and there's no peripheral edema noted. What do you want to do next? Um, so for what you said, it sounds like she looks quite unwell. Yeah, she looks, for somebody who's 37 and normally well, she, she looks like she needs a little bit of help absolutely yeah um i mean from the way you've described kind of the shaking and the high temperature at the moment that sounds like she might be having a rigor okay i'm just going to stop you there what's a rigor when people have a fever and their temperature is very high Mm -hmm. so some people then end up with kind of this shaking episode is that like a very intense shivering yes so we always say that patients have rigors and i was always wondering what actually is a rigor so Let's go back to the immune system. You get an immune response, antigen, antibody complex formed. You get an immune response. You get your pro-inflammatory cytokine release and prostaglandin release. And this happens in any infection. Now, what happens when you get these cytokines and these prostaglandins being released? The set point of the body temperature in the hypothalamus increases. And your body temperature increases. And what happens is your... the person or the patient will feel cold until that set point of the new temperature is reached. What rigors do is they produce heat by causing excessive muscle contraction. So the excessive muscle contraction is a physiological attempt to raise the body temperature to the new set point. So it's the body trying to maintain homeostasis with a new hypothalamus temperature. Now, in addition to that, your body will also have goosebumps or erectopeli, which helps to trap the warm air close to the body to again reach that new set point of temperature. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> I'm sure not many people will, but you know, it's sort of, we talk about rigors a lot, but we don't really actually ever understand what a rigor is. So, anyway. Moving swiftly on. So, um, yeah, we've got our patient. Let's go back to where you were. You said she was having rigors. Um, so I'd... I mean, I'm still thinking that this is probably infection mm-hmm. with the temperature and her looking unwell. Okay. Um, and you said she's got some abdominal tenderness, so I'm still thinking that this might be pyelonephritis okay. that's causing her symptoms. Mm-hmm. So I'd want to start by... So doing some more investigations for her. Okay. Um, so, what investigations would you like to do? I would send a urine sample. So, I'd do a urine dipstick. <gasps> would you? <laughs> I would. I would for her because she's young. Okay. Yeah. S- yep. Yeah. Um, so, because she's a thirty-seven-year-old lady, she she shouldn't have anything abnormal on her urine dipstick normally. Mm-hmm. So, I'd still do a dip a dipstick for her and send off an MSU for her. Okay. Yeah. Um, you've said she's on the pill, but I would still do a pregnancy test. Absolutely. Yep. Particularly, she can't get pregnant. Yeah. Um, and um, I do some blood tests for her. Okay. So I do a full blood count, mm-hmm. particularly looking at white cell count, mm-hmm. uh, check her renal function, um, check her CRP, and take some blood cultures for her as well. Okay. Um, and those are the things I do kind of immediately. Mm-hmm. So the full blood count comes back and uh, white cell count is 18. She's got a neutrophil count of 15. Hemoglobin's within normal limits. And her CRP is 312. 
normal should be less than 11. So it's pretty sporting CRP. Absolutely. Yeah. Blood cultures you've sent off. And you've also done your urine dipstick. And you mentioned that you'd also do a urine culture. Okay. So the urine dipstick comes back and it shows nitrites, leukocytes, and some red blood cells. Okay. So, I mean, that would fit with it being a urinary infection. Okay. Urinary infection or kidney infection? So, the the blood tests mm-hmm. fit with a kidney infection. Okay. So, if it was just like, a, if it was a simple UTI, mm-hmm. um, you wouldn't really expect a white cell count and a CRP to be as high mm-hmm. as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was a simple UTI, say like a cystitis, you would still get the dipstick abnormalities. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the really high CRP fits more with it being a kidney infection. Mm-hmm. Now, what other key thing do we have to do now? We've got a lady who thinks got an infection. She's tachycardic. Blood pressure's okay, capillary refill's okay, but her respiratory rate is erring to the higher side of normal, it's 18. What other condition or sort of physiological response do we need to look at now? Well, so I'd treat her as a suspected sepsis. Yes, okay. Um, because she's, she looks unwell mm-hmm. um, and her blood pressure is on the lower side and she's tachycardic mm-hmm. and you, you're suspecting infection. Yeah. So she should get started on sepsis treatment. Okay, so what are we going to do then for that? Uh, so you've got your kind of sepsis six okay. that you're going to do. So we've already done blood cultures. Yeah. Um, we're going to uh, measure her lactate. Okay, so what's a normal lactate? What would your lactate be now if I checked it? Oh, I, I reckon it would be about one and 1. 1.5. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Specifically. Okay. Specifically, yeah. Okay, so if you've got sepsis, what's the, what will the lactate be? So then it, it will go, start going up to kind of three or higher. Yeah. So she might only have a small rise. If you're very unwell, you might have a higher rise mm-hmm. in and your what, lap. What's the lactate a marker of? Um, so a marker of kind of tissue hypoperfusion mm-hmm. sometimes. Okay, yeah. So in sepsis, you, you're absolutely right. So your blood pressure drops and your tissues become hypoperfused and therefore they produce lactic acid via anaerobic metabolism. So it's a marker really of how underperfused your tissues are. So, and your lactate rises. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, you've done lactate, you've done, um, you said blood cultures. What else would you like to do? So, I, I, would, I would like to give us some antibiotics. Excellent. Okay. So, what antibiotics are we going to go for in this patient? Um, so, I mean, we've got a suspected source. Mm-hmm. So, whatever the trust guidelines for complicated UTI, pyelonephritis are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, commonly that's like IV carimoxiclav. Yeah. Um, or it might it might include gentamicin as okay. a stat dose. Now there is a really good guideline that was released in September 2019 by Nice, and it's pyelonephritis antimicrobial prescribing, and it's a fantastic, very um, two-page document about actually how we treat pyelonephritis because. Obviously, there are going to be some trust variations and some locality variations, but this is a fantastic way of really looking at how to manage it in a concise way. And what they say is send a midstream urine, which is what we do. Send a urine sample. Just to go back to the urine sample, when is the best time to take it? What time of day? Early morning. Yes, why? 
So, because, is it because it's more concentrated from overnight? Yeah. So, because E. coli and majority of the infections that cause UTI and pyelonephritis um, help um, produce nitrites, then the urine in the bladder before it's che- checked has to be in the bladder for four or more hours. So, if you have frequent urination, then you may not get nitrites present. Okay, so it's important to do early morning when hopefully you've managed to get some sleep and you haven't urinated within the last four hours. Okay, so do an early morning specimen. Absolutely. And then obviously, before you've got the culture, you're not going to have sensitivity and specificity for antibiotics. So make sure that when you've got that back, you do review the antibiotics and what we're going to give them. But before that, we're going to give some antibiotics. And what the guidelines say first choice oral antibiotics so if the patient isn't showing any signs of sepsis and they're hemodynamically stable and they're well enough to be discharged you start kefalexin oh interesting yes 500 milligrams bd or three times a day um, for seven to ten days and it's key to remember in pyelonephritis is the length it's often a lot longer than for just a simple uti coamoxiclav but only when the culture results are available and the same with trimethoprim and ciprofloxacin you use when those culture results are available. If a patient is unwell, you mentioned sepsis or, you know, in our patient, she's vomiting. So she's not going to be able to keep things down orally. You go for coamoxiclav, 1.2 grams TDS. Other options, which the new guideline states are kefiroxine, keftriaxone, ciprofloxacin, gentamicin and amikacin. Now, I know what's commonplace where I work is coamoxiclav and just a tickle with gentamicin. Again, they don't, that is not in the guideline, but I know that in clinical practice that often patients are given this stat dose of gentamicin. And again, that's probably historical. And um, this is the same in non-pregnant women and also men. Men can get the same conditions. In a pregnant woman, Obviously, things have to be slightly different because of the risk of antibiotics. And we use kefalexin okay. or kefiroxine. And again, discuss with a microbiologist if there's any problems. Okay, so let's go back to your sepsis six. You've done your lactate. You have done your blood cultures. You've given some antibiotics. What else would you like to do? Um, I would give us some IV fluid. Okay, yep. What choice of fluid would you use? Uh, crystalloid. Okay, which one? So... Um, Hartman's. Okay, yeah. Um, and then I'd uh, monitor her urine output. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her, that might be that she's just able to monitor by measuring when she goes when she goes to the toilet and passes her urine every time, as long as she can do it accurately. Mm-hmm. What would be the risk of catheterizing this lady who's got UTI slash pyelonephritis? Um, I suppose, so you're putting you're putting a f- kind of essentially a foreign object mm-hmm. into somewhere where there's already an infection, mm-hmm. um, and it'll be easier to clear the infection without the catheter sat in the urine. Because if you put a catheter into infected urine, then the bacteria can stick to the catheter, and they're harder to clear. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So it's really important to remember that um, that especially in the young patients, if you can get them weighing and measuring it, and also it's good to keep them mobile as well. Um, and depending on how frequently they're weighing, though, I mean, it can be miserable if you're 
are sort of going for a wee every five to ten minutes or it feels like that so it's just about being sensible and seeing what's best for the patient absolutely what about for pain relief what would you use because she's got quite severe lower back pain secondary with the infection what were you going to use um it depends a little bit on what she's taken before okay so she might have already started taking paracetamol before she came to hospital um i suppose the paracetamol is good because it would also help with the temperatures mm-hmm. um and if she is getting lots of pain i'd probably put her on some regular paracetamol to try mm-hmm. and control the pain um and then i would work your way up the kind of pain relief ladder mm-hmm. um so she's young so she could probably have um a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen yeah um and see if that works um and then if it doesn't move on to try some codeine for her prn absolutely side effect of codeine yeah okay absolutely and constipation lots of poo sitting in that bowel can also increase your risk of uti can't it so again just worth thinking about the side effects of all the drugs that we prescribe another side effect of codeine particularly if you're a little bit older so if for older patients it can make them a bit confused Mm. um or just not quite their normal Mm. self less alert a bit sleepier yeah um so if she was older i'd probably try and avoid sticking her on bigger doses of codeine straight away yeah absolutely um but if she if if she needs it for the pain relief then it might be something to try and then just see how it affects so you've got this young girl you think that she has um, polynephritis, you've treated her accordingly, you've looked at sepsis, fantastic. Now, differentials. So you mentioned uh, pregnancy. Okay. Um, any other differentials that could possibly be we need to talk about? Um, so other intra-abdominal kind of causes um you said she didn't have any tenderness in the right iliac fossa no but if she did if she did I'd think about appendicitis excellent yep um and she's young and female so other kind of gynecological things Such as, as well as pregnancy so um like ovarian cysts good thought yep um or things like pelvic inflammatory disease excellent yeah, really important one to rule out, isn't it? So what sort of sexually transmitted diseases can cause pelvic inflammatory disease? Um, so chlamydia can, yeah. can, can do. Um, gonorrhea. Yeah. So it's really important to take a sexual history in these patients, um, absolutely, just to make sure that that's not... Um, a causative factor sometimes patients can have both as well so they may have pelvic inflammatory disease and the pyelonephritis as well yeah absolutely um pelvic pain syndrome um again this is probably something that's probably going to happen when you're over the age of 65 or you're postmenopausal when you start to complain of um genitourinary syndrome of menopause and that's used to be called vulvovaginal atrophy so this is when women complain of dysuria, um, increased frequency, pain on sexual intercourse. And again, this needs to be looked at if the patient is over the age of 65. So we get a lot of people with recurrent UTIs. They don't ever grow anything in their cultures. And it's not actually a recurrent UTI. It's actually genitourinary syndrome of menopause. 
also known as GSM. So it's worth thinking about that. It prevents giving lots and lots of antibiotics, which is going to, again, in however many years' time, cause antibiotic resistance. So it's really important that we think about other things as well. Absolutely. Any other differential diagnoses? Um, so you'd want to make sure it wasn't something gallbladder related either. So like okay. cholecystitis. So you said she's got, so it's right-sided pain. Mm-hmm. And although you said it's rounds the back, mm-hmm. back, I'd still think about whether it could be something like cholecystitis or cholangitis that's causing that pain. Okay, good thought, because it often presents with a nausea, the vomiting and the pyrexia, doesn't it? Okay. Now, one of my bugbears, I do have many of them, is um, ultrasound scans in pyelonephritis. Okay, so what are your thoughts about that? So, I mean, it seems to be something that we do as a standard kind of, they come in, you've got pyelonephritis, so we request you an ultrasound scan. Why? Why are we doing that ultrasound scan? Um, So I suppose to make sure there aren't any, isn't any hydronephrosis or any obstruction. Um, and to have a look and see whether you've got any underlying anatomical abnormality mm-hmm. that might make you more predisposed mm-hmm. to having pyelonephritis. So have you got the right number of ureters? <laughs> How many ureters should you have? I was, I was thinking, yeah. So I was trying to find some research about the value of ultrasound scan in pyelonephritis because everyone who has pyelonephritis seems to have one now i couldn't find any uk-based evidence i couldn't find a guideline that comments on it however the american college of radiologists has done a literature search on this and it said that in an uncomplicated patient investigations are not indicated so we don't need to be doing an ultrasound scan or a ct abdomen pelvis in these patients However, if it's a complicated patient, they have diabetes, they are immunosuppressed, they've had renal stones in the past or renal obstruction in the past, previous renal surgery, or they haven't responded to antibiotic therapy, then you would think about doing a CT abdomen and pelvis, which is the most accurate investigation to do because you're going to be looking for renal or perinephric abscesses or emphysematous sorry emphysematous abscesses around the kidneys ct abdomen pelvis is the best ultrasound scan of the renal tract is okay but it's not as sensitive we only need to be doing them in those which are complicated if you've got a 37 year old woman who's coming to hospital with her first ever episode of pyelonephritis it's unlikely she has an anatomical abnormality because by now you probably would have had more presentations always worth asking when you were little, did you have lots of urinary tract infections that could indicate renal scarring? So I certainly wouldn't go and do ultrasound scans on everyone with pyelonephritis, only again if there's a complication. Okay, so you've diagnosed her, you've looked at differentials and you've given us some antibiotics and we're now going to think about preventing pyelonephritis. How can we prevent it from happening again? What advice can we give to her? You can tell her that she needs to wee after sex. Yeah. Because that should get rid of any bacteria that have mm-hmm. been transferred to the urethra. Mm-hmm. Um, and apart from that, I don't, really, I don't really know what advice I would give mm-hmm. her. 
drink lots of fluid, I guess, um, to help maintain bladder hygiene. Um, and again, um, if when you need the toilet, go to the toilet rather than trying to hold on to it a little bit. Um, there is no evidence really that suggests antibiotic prophylaxis is any good. Um, and the new guideline certainly doesn't advocate that. Yes, that's useful to know. Um, there is a really good um, guideline or sort of advice called Target UTI from the Royal College of General Practitioners. And it's a one page document that gives advice to patients about what to do. And it's all about cleanliness, voiding, cranberry juice, waste of time. Because I know when I was young, I used to tell everybody to drink cranberry juice because it prevents a UTI. It doesn't. It's just piffle. But again, it's something, it's one of those sort of old wives' tales, isn't it? That still hear people saying you should drink lots of cranberry juice. Exactly. Thrush as well is also can increase the risk of developing um, infections, urinary tract infections. So if you do have thrush, make sure that it's treated in a timely manner. Okay. As well. So... I'm going to just go through, try and clarify a few myths. And I'm going to look at the, the urine dipstick myth. Again, a fantastic piece of work has been done by, in fact, has been published by Public Health England. And it looks at um, women under the age of 65, the suspected UTI, women over the age of 65. It's not saying that men don't get urinary tract infections because they do. And they also get acute prostatitis. But in this particular episode we're just going to really look at women because we know that they do suffer from urinary tract infections more than men now if you are a woman over the age of 65 or a man over the age of 65 you do not do a urine dipstick nice guidelines and public health england guidelines how many people over the age of 65 get urine dipsticks oh you two all of them how many people over the age of 65 get diagnosed with the uti too many. Too many. Exactly. So, urine dipsticks are unreliable with increase in age over the age of 65. Up to a half of adults who are over the age of 65, particularly if they've got a catheter, will have bacteria present in their bladder and their urine, regardless. And it's not an infection. And this is asymptomatic bacteria. It's not harmful, but it will cause that positive urine dipstick. Antibiotics are given. And then you've got the risk of antibiotics. Antibiotics can cause kidney problems. They can cause liver problems. They can cause resistance, nausea, vomiting. So it's really important that we don't just give them out, which does happen. So it's really important that we are only dipsticking the urine of those less than 65. And what are we looking for in the urine dipstick? We are looking for nitrites. We are looking for leukocytes. And we are looking for red blood cells. Now, I always thought that nitrites were the pinnacle of infection. Are they? So what a nitrite does is it indicates that there is nitrate-reducing bacteria. Okay. E. coli is one of these. However, some of the other common causative agents, candida, streptococci, do not have these nitrite-reducing bacteria Therefore, you're not going to get a positive dipstick, even if you have an infection. Yeah. Three most common causative agents of urinary infection are E. coli, number one. We know that. It's in the bowel. It's very close to the urethra, so very common. Staph and Enterococcus and Klebsiella. Yeah. Klebsiella and E. coli do produce these nitrate-reducing bacteria. 
So you will get that positive nitrite. But again, there is a large group of people who it won't be present in. So there was a really interesting paper called The Reliability of the Dipstick Assay in Predicting UTI. And it was published in the Journal of Family Medicine and Primary Care. And it's based in India, but it was a really interesting paper. And it looked at over 600 people with culture positive urine. And it showed that if you had nitrites in your urine, 23% sensitivity of a UTI. If you had leukocytes, 48.5%. But if you had blood in the urine culture, 63.94%. Why are we so obsessed with nitrites? The, it became more specific when you had nitrites and leukocytes. And when you had all three, nitrites, leukocytes and blood, it was very specific for urinary tract infection. Again, handy if you're less than 65. Again, completely pointless if you are over the age of 65. So we shouldn't be doing it. So there's one myth. <laughs> Again, we need to be dipsticking the right people as well. So a lot of people come into hospital with random symptomatology and they get a urine dipstick. However, it's very clear that we shouldn't be dipsticking these people. We should only be doing it if they have urinary symptoms. So what symptoms might we be looking for? So dysuria. Yeah. Which is what? So pain when you're passing urine. Um, or urinary frequency. Yes, particularly at night. Yeah, so if you're having to get up overnight mm-hmm. to pass your urine and you don't normally. Mm-hmm. Um, or kind of pubic discomfort, mm-hmm. feeling like you're not emptying your bladder completely after you've been for a week. Absolutely. And the colour as well. It's a bit cloudy. And sometimes it can be really smelly as well. <laughs> Sometimes people know they've got a UTI from the smell and the colour of it. Yeah, so the Public Health England say that if you have those symptoms, then you do a urine dipstick test. If it's positive for nitrites or leukocytes, red blood cells, a UTI is likely, send your culture off. However, they do say if you're not pregnant and you have mild symptoms, don't give antibiotics. Okay. If the, you don't have any of those symptoms, really you shouldn't be doing the dipstick, but if you do and it hasn't got anything... It's probably another diagnosis. Think about the STDs. Think about pregnancy. If it's nitrite negative and positive leukocytes, you could have a UTI. You could have something else. Look at the symptomatology. Send your urine for culture and try and identify what's going on there. So it's really important to only do UTIs, sorry, urine dipsticks in those people who are probably have one, if that makes sense. I've got a high clinical probability. It's like when we do... D-dimers in patients with PEs. You have to do it in the right patients. You could dipstick me or you now and we may have something that would indicate a UTI, but we haven't got the symptoms, so we wouldn't need to treat it. Just to cover the management of a UTI. So slightly different to pyelonephritis. Again, we've said we don't need to manage it if there's mild symptoms, but first choice of antibiotic in non-pregnant women over the age of 16 is nitrofurantoin. Okay. And unless their EGFR is less than 45, then you probably wouldn't. And second choice is trimethoprim. Okay. So nitrofurantoin is 100 milligrams BD, modified release, 50 milligrams QDS, only for three days. Yeah. Trimethoprim is 200 milligrams BD for three days. There is a group of patients who can't take trimethoprim. 
again, it's those with a decreased GFR, but also another group as well. Uh, so patients on methotrexate. Mm-hmm. And why? Uh, so trimethoprim interferes with folic acid mm-hmm. metabolism mm-hmm. Um, and methotrexate does as well. So they're at a higher risk of side effects from the methotrexate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things like bone marrow suppression. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so complications then of pyelonephritis. So we've already mentioned abscesses, emphysematous pyelonephritis, any other complications that we need to be aware of? So we've already talked about sepsis, so mm-hmm. I suppose yeah. that might be a complication of mm-hmm. pyelonephritis. If you get recu- I suppose if you have recurrent infections, Absolutely. then um, you can end up with renal scarring. And just the fact that you can end up with recurrent infections. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also the antibiotics not working and allergic reaction to antibiotics. So I think we need to be really mindful of antibiotic prescribing now and antibiotic stewardship and not giving patients with very mild symptoms medication when they don't need it. So again, just to go back to the nice guidance for the antibiotic microbial prescribing they're really really good again they're a guideline so they're a guide but they do really set in stone exactly well not set in stone they sit really say what we should be doing and give us advice it's very clear okay one last little bit because some patients are more prone to you when infections and pyelonephritis than others and i got to thinking okay so why do women get utis and men often don't We know that some of that is anatomical because their urethra is a lot close to the back passage and the translocation of of bacteria happens more frequently. However, there are other risk factors to developing UTIs, genetics, personal hygiene, sexual intercourse, but the body is really clever and the urinary tract has many antibacterial factors. Do you know what any of these are? You've got the pH of the urinary tract the urea concentration the osmolality okay um the acids within the urinary tract itself the salt concentration in the urine secretory immunoglobulin a which prevents bacterial adhering and also mucopolysaccharides okay all these are present within the urinary tract to prevent bacterial adherence there is also this fantastic protein um, which is present in urine called TAM horseful protein, also known as uromodulin. Okay. This is a glycoprotein which is excreted in the urine, produced by the ascending loop of Henley, which was only discovered in 2017. It's thought that it inhibits calcium crystallization in the kidneys, therefore prevents stones, but it also is thought that it defends against UTIs by preventing bacterial adherence. So there are lots of things that our body does to prevent urinary tract infections. But at some point, usually women will get urinary tract infection. And again, we've also got catheters. So lots of people get catheter-associated UTIs. Most people with catheters will have bacteria within their bladder. If they have got a catheter, think about changing it, removing it, check for blockages. The urine dipstick is unreliable and always send the urine off at MSU to see if there is anything. And again, follow the guidance for the management of catheter-associated UTI. Okay, so I think we've covered everything we can possibly cover about 
you really retract infections and polynephritis. Again, link you to that target UTI at the Royal College of General Practitioners is very useful. We've got the nice guidance about the antimicrobial prescribing. Anything else that you want to share with us, Kat, that you've learnt or No, I think so it sounds like the the nice guidelines are different to mm-hmm. what I'd always been taught about antibiotics in UTI. Um, so that's really interesting. And I think if there's one thing that I want you to take away from today and everybody listening is that the new antimicrobial prescribing, we don't need to do ultrasounds of the renal tract in an uncomplicated patient and that every woman is pregnant until proven otherwise. So I hope you enjoyed that, Kat. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, please contact us at podcasts at rcplondon.ac.uk or you can tweet me at Amy Burbridge. Thank you for listening.